Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for June 4th. I'm your host, Ashlyn Essery. This week, we are joined by Yale County Judge Mark Fone, who tells us about the ongoing work to restore levees in his area. We also chat with Luke Lewis and J.P. Fairhead about feral hog eradication efforts and with Diana Endicott, Executive Director of the Food Conservancy in Springdale. A year ago, Yale County suffered severe flooding from the Arkansas River when local levees failed. Greg Patterson visited with County Judge Mark Fone about the efforts to restore those levees. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're going to talk with Mark Fone. He is the county judge in Yale County, and Mark, it was about a year ago uh, where we had all kinds of flooding going on, and you guys got hit hard. What happened? Well, you're right, Greg. It was uh, about a year ago, the, uh, the river just kept Coming up and coming up uh, slowly, it was like a, uh, we made the comment, it looked like molasses going down you know, the river. It was so slow. The, uh, uh, the the Corps of Engineers and the Weather Service kept changing their crest estimates for uh, uh, the area here at Dardanelle. And, uh, you know, usually, uh, Greg, if, if the river will stay under that 41, 42 level, we... Uh, we can handle it, you know. It, it, it causes some uh, uh, flood issues in the farm country, but not, you know, not major. But, uh, but uh, you know, we moved up to the 43, 44 level, and we started getting very concerned. And we, we even uh, done some levee work. My road crew did on some old uh, levee crossings and things, just to make sure water didn't, you know, come in through some of those road crossings. And, and uh and then when it got up and of course eventually went to 46 we knew we knew we had uh we knew we had serious trouble and uh we've started evacuating the area where we figured the uh the water would go over the levee and of course uh, we were right and uh so we we evacuated that whole area all the uh people out of there except for some of course there was some wildlife that uh we weren't able to get a, not, uh, you know, livestock and wildlife didn't make it out, and, uh, but we we had uh, uh, we had the complete area evacuated the night that the water went over the levee. And, and of course, it had to happen in the middle of the night, right? Oh yeah, it's about. I tell people it's right at midnight, which it actually was a little before. But uh, we were down there, and some of my road crew was there. We were watching it all night. Or that's what the plan was, and. Uh, of course, uh, I I had gone home, hadn't been home in a, quite a while, and uh, I no more than got home. Uh, uh, they called me and said this this thing's it's going over, and uh, so I got back down there, and sure enough, it was uh, it it kind of reminds you of uh, you've seen video where uh, water runs downstairs, how it cascades downstairs, uh, <laughs> exactly. and, and that's what it looked like going over the top of the levee. And of course, when that started, it started eating the levee out, and it, it wasn't but a matter of minutes that we is a full blown hole in, and uh, it just kept getting bigger and bigger through the night, and it of course destroyed Highway uh, One uh, One Fifty Five there. Uh, chunks of asphalt, you know, big as a truck, was flying up in the air with that, well, that force of that water hitting it. It was it was a sight to see. It was very scary. 
to see it. Uh, you know, you, you hate to admit you're scared, but we were. Well, we I were bet it was. Scared. It was. It was. A, it was a sight. Well, and you, you you looked at it firsthand, and obviously that destruction was immediate once that that water came up over the levee. But the restoration process takes time, and you've been a a leader in the last year working with numerous people to get these levees repaired. And tell us about that process and some of the challenges that you've faced. Well, of course, there's no way that locally we had the money to do that. And, uh, uh, you know, it was projected around a million dollars or 1.5 million. Uh, that was to fix, uh, uh, fix it all there. And, uh, of course, uh, luckily, our dot, you know, they uh, they fixed their part, which was that contract was like a million and fifty thousand or something. So, uh, the the highway and the levee is so close together that reduced some of the dirt uh, that had to go into the levee. So uh, the bid right. on the levee actually come in at like four hundred and fifty some odd thousand dollars. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so actually, it's. Uh, little under estimate which is always good but uh you know locally greg we didn't have that money and uh the sure. governor uh, governor hutchison uh told us at a meeting that we had there in his office that uh, uh he was going to get the money to, to fix these levees and to move forward and to get an engineering firm to get started and that's exactly what i did and uh and of course then during this process we started uh we had two old levee boards on the books that were basically inactive, and uh, uh, in this day and time, we didn't need two levee boards on basically the same stretch of levee. Uh, right. We've got a, we've got about a 28 mile levee system, and uh, now the levees don't touch because of a ridge in the area there, but they basically protect the same lands. So we didn't need two separate levee boards working. So. Uh, uh, went through the court systems and the public meetings and uh, so on and so forth that you know you have to go through by by law to uh, to get this uh, consolidation accomplished and uh, uh, we got that done so now we have one levy district in the county and uh, that that took quite a while to get that done and now these guys are trying to move forward and uh, to and working with the core to uh, come up with some plans to work on this levy in the future. So you had to uh, do a bunch of legal work, obviously, and paperwork to make that happen. Um, you've also been involved with um, probably recruiting people to, to be a part of that that new levy board as well and getting people interested in in moving the project forward. Yes, we uh, that that's an issue uh, on any board, you know, that the county judges have to – you know the hospital board or uh, or whatever. It's uh, it's a lot of people don't want to serve because they're afraid that maybe they'll get sued or they just don't want to put the time into it. Right. Uh, and uh, but I've I've got uh, three guys. Blake Manns, he's the president. Uh, the secretary is Bob Crow, and uh, and then Ronnie Cross. Uh, they kind of took the lead on this and uh, said they'd do it. Uh, Mr. Crow, uh, he's a retired farmer down there in the area, and he's got a lot of history. Uh, the other two guys are young men who who can work, you know, and uh, so that's what it's come down to. 
uh, these guys, if they want to make a commitment that their kids and their grandkids don't have this issue again. You know, they want to repair these levees and, and get it where down the road they can look back and say, well, we're sure glad you did that uh, and, took, and took charge. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I think those levees, uh, a lot of times people took or take them for granted because um, they've been around for so long. How long had that levy, uh, particular levy, been there? Uh, 1948 is when uh, the Corps turned the levy over to the locals uh, for maintenance. Sure. And uh, so, you know, it was built some, I'm sure it took several years to build it, but uh, 48 was, I guess, the completion date. And, and, and tell our listeners as well that, that the fact that there were a couple of inactive levy boards, uh, in Yale County, that that's not just Yale County. That oh. we've found out has been statewide, and and you served on the governor's levy task force. Yeah, well, Greg, that's one of the things that we the task force found out was uh, there's inactive levy boards all up and down the Arkansas River and the other uh, some of the other rivers in, in the state, uh, and but uh, that's one of the things that that we have decided that need to be corrected. And uh, I've got to commend uh, uh, that task force and uh, Mr. Bruce Holland there at the uh, NRCS uh, uh, and uh, Mr. Benefield for their actions and uh, moving forward with this. And they've come up with a plan that with better reporting through from the county judges and the county clerks that we can uh, find, maybe find these inactive levy boards and see if we can, you know, uh, get the ones that aren't doing anything to uh, be, you know, get some people replaced on there that will uh, try to move forward. Now, there's a lot of ag land um, uh, that those levees protected as well as the citizenry. Uh, I'm betting that you've become a, a levy expert in the past yeah. year. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a, uh, I've told people when I was uh, I was born and raised down there in those bottoms, and when I was a young man, you could stand on our front porch and see the Pettigene Levee to the uh, south, and look to the north and see the uh, Arkansas River Levee. So yeah, I've I've dealt with them my entire life. Uh, uh, like I say, I come out of the row crop business uh, when I run for county judge, and uh, uh, so I'm I'm pretty used to uh, dealing with floods and water and weather and, and everything else, uh, uh, but. It's just uh, it's a never seemed like a never ending task to keep these levees in, in uh, working order, and uh, that's something that's going to take years. It's taking years to get them where they're at now. It's going to take years to get them back for they're uh, in better shape. Now work is going to get underway sometime soon. I think you've told me. Yes, very soon. Uh, I talked to the contractor yesterday, and uh, he's kind of waiting on the river to go down. Uh, uh, right now, the river is high enough that it has kind of backed up into that, uh, I guess you could say, hole there next to the levee where the uh, water went through there it, and, and done all the damage. So uh, he's got to get that, you know, backed out of there a little bit, and uh, and then they can start uh, start to uh, you know haul some dirt in there and get and get some of that repairs going. Well, you've got a, a damaged levee 
um, and we've had a heck of a lot of rain this spring. That's that's got to concern you. Uh, yeah, we we not only, you know, it 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 gives you a lot of anxiety. Uh, every, it seems like every time that we get a rain up west or up in Oklahoma, up toward Fort Smith, we're driving down there to see just just where the water's at, you know. And we've kind of done it so much, we've got us some marks over here on the Oakley Grain Elevator, where we know if it's at that level, you know, it's uh, we know where it's at, and. Uh, uh, Needless to say, we've been we've been watching it a lot, uh, and I know it's give the farmers and the citizens that, that live down in there a lot of anxiety uh, about the river. Now, obviously, uh, with weather the way it is um, and other issues that come up, um, what are you looking at as far as the timeline goes? When would you like to see this this levy restoration work completed? Well. Uh, as you know, and and all, and I know as all the farmers, uh, farm bureau members and stuff that are listening, it's been a rough year, a uh, rough spring as far as rain goes. Seems like every third day, you know, we're getting rain. So, if this would break a little bit and and people could uh, get to work, I'm sure the contractor can, you know, within a month or month and a half, he can be complete down there. But if it's one of those years where it sets in and rains all the time, uh, of course, it's going to take longer. But uh, by the end of the summer, I'm hoping that not only is this hole fixed, but the damage over at the Petty Jean levee is uh, at least underway to be repaired, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned that you did some row crop farming, and then you became a county judge. Which Which job is more fun for you? That's a loaded question, Greg. Uh, <laughs> You're talking to Farm Bureau. <laughs> I, uh, I I loved farming. I, I, there was nothing more you know that more pleasing than be on a tractor and uh, smell dirt. You know that you when you're disking or plowing and that newly turned dirt and all that. I really enjoyed it, but it, it just got to the point it was hard to make a uh, make a living with it. And this opportunity came about the. Uh, previous county judge hemmed me up and said he wasn't going to run the morning he wanted me to and uh, uh so you know we my wife and i we prayed about it and talked about it and talked to the family about it and uh everybody said you know well let's go for it so we did and it's worked out and uh i, I do love this job i love being able to help people and uh you know uh, uh there's there's a lot of folks here in the county which i know it's statewide, uh, especially uh, the elderly that need help. And, uh, man, if, if you're not here to help people, you don't need to be in this office. Exactly. And and you've uh, taken on a job that allows you to serve your community, serve your county, and, and you're to be commended for it. And uh, the good news is, as a farmer, you come up against all kinds of issues that come out of nowhere, and you have to deal with them. That's the way farming is, and so uh, you got a lot of good experience as you took over as a county judge to do the same thing. Yeah, well, being the county judge is a whole lot like farming, uh, and you know people probably look at you with a weird look on their face when you say that, but every morning you get up and you don't know what the day's going to bring. Uh, you know, farming, you're going to get up and say, well, I'm going to 
go plant, you know, that 40 acres over there or something. Well, you might not. It might start raining or storming or you have a breakdown. Or, and so things change, and that's the way it is being the county judge. It seems like every morning you walk in the office, there's something different that has to be done or uh, you go a different direction or, or change this, to, you know, to, to go over to uh, another event or something. So it, uh, it, they're a lot alike. Well, and, and, and your story about having the, this past year uh, put together a, you know, consolidate, you know, levy districts, put together a board, um, uh, deal with, uh, obviously, the, the plans to redo the levy. I mean, you're, a, you're kind of a, you ought to be getting an honorary legal degree, and you ought to be getting an honorary engineering degree, and, and, and you could probably be the, the, the weatherman on TV in a pinch if you needed to be. Yeah, it, well, it seems like we're, we, we have to deal with everything, and uh, uh, it's, it's uh, the legal aspect is something that you just, you've got to just read and, and learn, you know, and try to catch up on, but uh, it seems like every day there's something different uh, uh, taking place. I know I had, uh, it's kind of a funny story, I had a younger county judge say, well, I've, I guess I've done everything, you know, I, I don't know if anything I hadn't done, and I asked him, I said, have you started a cemetery? And he said, <laughs> he said, what? I said, have you started a cemetery? And he said, well, no. I said, well, I have, so you hadn't done everything yet. you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mark, is there anything that, that I haven't touched base with you on about uh, dealing with these uh, restoration of the levy that, that you'd like to add to this conversation? Yeah, there, there is, Greg, and I know I touched on it earlier, but I want to thank Governor Hutchison and, and his uh, his uh, leadership and, and what he has been able to do in, in getting us the funds. And then also, you know, those funds are going through uh, – Mr. Bruce Holland and, the, and his organization there at the NRCS, mm-hmm. and also A.J. Gary over at Adam, uh, Arkansas Department of Emergency Management. They're handling uh, a lot of disbursements of that money. And uh, we, it, without them and their leadership and, and their, I guess you say, caring, if they didn't care, none of this uh, would would be taking place because the lo- there's no way the locals could pay to, to make repairs on, on this devastation. Yeah, it, it takes uh, a lot of people committed to do it. Uh, the governor, the uh, Arkansas Natural Resource Commission, all the people that you've uh, recruited to be a part of the board, working with the Corps of Engineer and the other engineers, the other federal people, the highway department to repair the roads. So uh, you're to be commended for, uh, you know, helping, helping to lead that effort. And I really appreciate you taking the time today to update us a year later as to what's going on with uh, levee restoration over there in Yale County, which was hit so hard. We've been talking with Mark Stone. He is the Yale County judge. And, Mark, thank you so much for spending time today on Arkansas AgCast. All right. Thank you, Greg, for calling. Next, Greg talks to Luke Lewis of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission and J.P. Fairhead of the Arkansas Department of Agriculture about what's happening with the Farm Bill funding dedicated to feral hog control. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we've got two guests to talk about feral hogs. 
Luke Lewis is the Assistant Chief of Wildlife Management for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. And J.P. Fairhead is the Feral Hog Program Coordinator for the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. And I want to welcome you both to the show. Good morning. Good morning, Greg. Thanks for having us on. Luke, uh, Feral hogs have been a real big issue. Uh, I know I know you got the game and fish maybe a little over a year ago, and, and it was immediately apparent that that was something that, that you were going to deal with. So uh, we we were kicking off things, I think, in March of this year. A lot of, lot of background action had happened up to March, and some on-the-ground stuff was really going to get going. What's, been, what's game and fish been doing with, with feral hogs this year? Well, like everybody else in Arkansas and our country, you know, we've been adjusting to the COVID-19 pandemic and just trying to kind of find ways to still be productive uh, in our agency. I I think one thing we've realized, uh, a lot of our work's done outside, and I'm very happy to say that we've still been uh, able to deliver conservation, you know, throughout our agency to people in the state. Uh, it's one of the safest places to be right now, if, if uh, you know, with this uh, pandemic. But uh, our staff really had a lot of time uh, that work in the field to work on feral hog removal. And uh, I came, like you said, about a year ago uh, to take this position. And JP and I have been were working together for a little over six months before he was offered a job with. Uh, Department of Ag, and I'm very happy for him. Uh, glad that he is going to be able to work with uh, various agencies under the Department of Ag to you know, partner with us, as well as our, our good friend Robert Bird with uh, Wildlife Services APHIS and his staff. And uh, it just, it's, I'm seeing, you know, in just a short time through the Feral Hog Eradication Task Force, you know, some efforts for not only capacity. But just educating people about, you know, the concerns that we have with feral hogs, the, how they've grown. If you look at the history of this over the last 20 years and where they were and where they are today, um, the economic impacts that have really kind of trumped, uh, you know, whether this is a hunting issue, which it's, it's not. It's more of an economic issue today. So that said, <clears throat> our staff kind of, Double down during the months of March, April, and May, and as of 2020, we've harvested or removed about 2,572 hogs, close to 2,600. Uh, I was running some numbers today for our commission meeting, and just uh, this last month, our staff uh, reported 407 hogs removed in May, uh, and that kind of couples with what we did 406 in April. One thing that I want to really kind of give a shout out to uh, uh, JP on is that we've included now, we're beginning to include in some of our reporting, some of our partners like Poison Springs, WMA, uh, their foresters trapping on that wildlife management area. They've harvested six, removed six. Uh, State Parks is now partnering data with us uh, who have removed 36 hogs. And then the Forest Service has a a trapper that works in the Ozarks, and he's they've removed 19 so far in 2020. And that might not sound like a big deal, but but I think the biggest thing, and hopefully JP and everyone will agree, that 
you know, knowing one of the first questions we were asked is how many homes do we have in the state? Well, that right. we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was a lot of concern about you know wildlife management areas, uh, you know, being areas that kind of harbored hogs, and you know they moved out on private land. You know, the the take home message to me is that 90% of our land in the state's privately owned. So this is an issue for all of us. It's not just an agency issue. It's a Arkansas issue. You get in a room with people, and you probably have half the folks that support, you know, wanting feral hogs. And if it's economically damaging or destructive on other landowners' property, they don't want them. There's a year I've had lots of stories from people uh, that have been impacted negatively. And so, this, you know, we're, we're just looking at efforts, a lot of good things going on with some grants and, you know, the efforts with APHIS, uh, some aerial gunning, aerial gunning that we did this year, uh, working in Delta during the month of February. And, you know, I kind of, to get exact numbers, I hope at some point y'all interview Robert Bird and his staff there, really working hard in our state now. But I know over 900 hogs were shot in about three or four weeks of aerial gunning in the eastern part of the state, many of those on our WMAs. Those areas at that time of the year offer opportunity where we have high water hogs that are bunched up or possibly some open lands, landscapes with fields and stuff that we can have a chance to shoot them at that time of the year and reduce those numbers. Uh, that was happening on both public and private land that surrounds the wildlife management areas. And one of the first years we've been able to partner with Fish and Wildlife Service and some of the property in northeast Arkansas. So, you know, I think the, you know, there's a lot of pieces of the pie that are working in all this. And, uh, you know, trying to ascertain numbers that can be delivered to people that are that are exact, you know, correct data is very important, and we've got some apps and some dashboards that we're creating now to be able to pull the information in so that when we go to a phone bill meeting or a, um, we're speaking to legislators, we can talk, you know, give them the best information that we've got. And right. It's just going to take us a while to get that everybody kind of coalescing together, you know, and all that. But I'm, I'm excited about it. I think we're making some good strides. Now, JP, uh, obviously you worked at Game and Fish for a little while and then moved over to uh, the Arkansas Department of Agriculture to head up their their feral hog program. So Mm -hmm. um, what's going on with Department of Ag? Uh, How are things getting started, and and what are you doing over there? Um, Okay, yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Greg. So, so basically, kind of to recap on what Luke was saying and what you mentioned earlier about, like, back in March, um, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic hit, and, and we were in the process at that time of, of finalizing a grant with NRCS um, as part of the 2018 Farm Bill, I believe, sure. for getting technicians, basically a three-pronged approach, uh, a pilot project, one portion of that was getting technicians in, in 12 counties, 10 technicians in 12 counties. Um, and and so basically we, we got that grant submitted back in, in late March, and we really couldn't do a whole lot until the money was finally uh, – we got final notice of award, which was in, 
I think the last week of April. Um, and so we're moving forward with uh, hiring those technicians at this point. And where we Excellent. are in that is um, the, the jobs closed on, on Memorial Day, actually, May 25th. Um, we've got the applicants uh, pooled up and sent out to the conservation districts to review, and hopefully we'll be interviewing those um you know, the, the final selection of applicants mid-June, mid to late June. Um, my target date was, was always July 1 to get these guys in the field working. Um, <laughs> we we may be a week or two uh, beyond that, but, but given the, the current circumstances, I feel like that, that's, that's pretty decent progress. Um, so, again, you know, we were um, – a lot of moving parts to this whole thing with with in in, in doing this in steps um, according to how the the funding flows is kind of where we were. But um, it, really um, excited about getting those positions out there. Those uh, folks will be working in um, the four pilot project areas. If, if you don't know, that's uh, West Arkansas River Valley um, is number is one. They'll be working in Logan, Sebastian, and Yale counties. Right. Um, North Central Ozarks, they'll be working in Baxter, Izzard, and Marion County. Um, southeast is Arkansas, Drew, and Ashley County. And then we have finally Southwest Arkansas, which is uh, Hempstead, Howard, and Sevier counties. And, right. And, and, yeah. and I think it's important, too, is I'm, I'm glad you identified those counties. It's mm-hmm. also important to tell folks our listeners out there, especially mm-hmm. we have a big farming community that's out there, that those aren't the only counties that, that, that you know, this this uh, hog eradication program happens in. Uh, hogs are in every county in the yes. state of Arkansas. They yes. happen to be the, the, the counties and the areas that this farm bill money was targeted to to begin programs so y'all could figure out, okay, what's the best approach? Correct. And, and uh, you, you may want to say something, JP, about the fact that we've got, what is it, how, how many federal and state agencies tied into trying to trying to do hog eradication? Um, it's a lot. Th- there's a lot. Um, you know, I think we've got, you know, just speaking on behalf of the task force, we've got 22 member organizations. Um, exactly. A lot exactly. of, a lot of uh, of government agencies and some NGOs, but uh, you know, th- there's probably five to six actual agencies that are doing boots on the ground work. Uh, there's a few more that are doing uh, more educational outreach components, such as uh, University of Arkansas Cooperative Extension Service. Sure. Um, and then we've just got uh, you know other partners um, that, that for. For, uh, education and outreach as well, and so this is kind of a team effort and one that we've constantly got to um, keep keep managing that herd, so to speak, and keep the ball rolling. And it's um, it's a daunting task at this point, but I think we are making some good progress in in these areas. And and one thing I want to mention too about the pilot project is Arkansas. There was ten states selected um, to do some some projects. Um, not every state elected to uh, hire technicians. Some states bought traps and did trap loan programs. Some states uh, did some other uh, you know, hybrid um, 
projects with some part-time technicians. And so we're really hoping with this pilot project we can get it, hit the ground running, uh, see how Arkansas plan works. And the good thing is, is these states are going to be using pretty much the same survey to try to try to tease out which which um, pilot projects work better than others. Exactly. And, you know, we just want to see see what the data tells us and see which one is, is successful. We hope they're all successful, but some may be more successful than others and adapt those potentially moving forward to a second round of funding if, if that is the case. So lots of, lots of balls uh, bouncing right now. One other thing I want to mention too is um, something we were working on prior to the NRCS grant is a feral hog handbook um, with the Department of Agriculture we're hoping to finalize that um, um, hopefully before July or August. And what that is, is that's just a small publication that um, we hope to distribute through through other media outlets and, and our partners do the task force. And it basically just gives landowners a one-stop uh, booklet for information on, on disease risks and a short synopsis of what each agency on the task force can provide to landowners in in way of assistance or um, um, you know feral hog damage mitigation or, or whatever each agency can provide should be listed in that handbook and that's something right. That so it's going to be the the mm-hmm. feral hog telephone book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Pretty, pretty much. It's just have a call tree. If you've got issues, this is who you need to call. So. Well, you know, Luke, yeah. uh, you and I have talked about this before in previous interviews we've done, and and JP's right. He's talking about you know the education of landowners out there. Of course, our Farm Bureau members. This is very important to to them, the the farmers out there, because. It's part of our policy, and, and Farm Bureau, as you y'all well know, they don't do anything unless it's in the policy handbook. <laughs> and so this is an important issue. But Luke, you've mentioned before the big thing to understand here is that 90% of Arkansas is in private ownership, and and a lot of that land is farm and ranch land. No doubt about it. And I and I think as we look to the future. Uh, you know, I'm not naive enough to think that just in a few years we're going to eradicate feral hogs. Uh, the numbers have certainly grown over the last 20 years if you look at the location maps of where they've moved to. Uh, we have some concerns about people that move hogs, you know, interstate transportation, which is illegal. Um, but, you know, the truth of the matter is that that has happened, and, you know, I, I would I would dare say some of those folks that are ranchers and farmers wish they never showed up on their property uh, because of the damage that they do. So they've had to take on that, you know, that burden. Uh, you know, people in Clark County trying to, you know, fence off 1,100 acres of pasture land and, and things like that. So, so many stories of depredation. Uh, you know, they kind of wanted a few of them, but they didn't want many. And they're so prolific. I think that's the thing that people just don't understand is that, you know, how quickly they can populate, have very few predators. Um, and so I think the key here is we look at 10 years from now, if I, if I could say, hey, what, if, what have we done as a task force that has benefited our state 
It's created people in every one of our 75 counties or groups of people that are taking this on to educate their neighbor, to help their neighbor learn how to trap and be effective you know, at removal. When someone raises their hand and say, hey, I've got a problem, let's have a protocol of how to immediately address these issues. And I think that's been the frustration is, you know, so much uh, of a problem right now. There's just the capacity for people to get attention quickly. Is, you know, it's been very difficult. But I think, we're, you know, we're addressing that. And that comes a lot from communication. I think we're working more closely uh, as agencies to work together and share some of this, uh, you know, demand for help these properties. But I think the key is that, you know, if we had 50 people that could trap hogs, it doesn't need to be just on their shoulders. We need to educate that landowner. And what we've seen are many landowners uh, who have just said, hey, I'm, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to purchase a trap. I'm going to learn how to do this. Right. They're the hero to me in my mind, uh, you know, to, to leading uh, individual landowners as to how to address this. So we just got to use all of our resources to to uh, attain, you know, some of these goals of control. And, uh, you know, we, I want to make sure that people know this is not a vendetta on people that hunt, uh, but there's people that want these and there's people that don't. And, you know, those numbers have, have, are so skewed right now in certain parts of our state, they've become epidemic. Well, you know, I, I had a conversation at one time with a uh, wildlife uh, management uh, veterinarian, and, and we started talking about feral hogs and, and how prolific they are as far as breeding goes. And and then, you know, one of my my questions uh, was, well, what percentage of the population? And as you said, there's there's some you know rough estimates out there as far as population. But, you know, what percentage of that population has to be removed to uh, be able to, you know, say success? And the response back to me was 80%. I went, whoa, um, <laughs> y'all, I mean, we've, we've all gone through our uh, wildlife management and science backgrounds, and 80% removal of any population of wildlife is, is a pretty daunting task. Um you did mention, um, you know, the damage that that feral hogs um, do out there. Is there are there any numbers yet that have come through that have passed in front of y'all as to um, you know the dollar figure of damage that hogs do in Arkansas? <clears throat> Excuse me, Greg. Um, you know, I was uh, there's there's nothing really current. For Arkansas, I know Extension has done a survey back in 2018, and, and we're discussing picking that that up. But it's it's more of a range range of uh, of damage estimates. But I do know that it, in 2017, uh, NASH, the National Agricultural Statistics Service with USDA, put out some some monetary damages um, across 11 states, and Arkansas was included in that. And it was about nineteen million dollars uh, just to just to row crop agriculture alone. Um, that's that's just, significant. And and what I want to put out is is that study didn't include all the crops. It was just rice, corn, soybeans, and wheat. It didn't 
didn't include cotton, uh, forestry resources were not included in that and, and anything like that. So you, we can always uh, err on the low side, but, you know, we're probably looking at 20 to $30 million um, easily in the state on probably an annual basis. And um, that's, that's, um, <laughs> that's, that's quite, quite a lot of damage statewide. Yeah, it, and, it, it definitely is. And, it, and it's interesting. You, you used the word uh, forestry in there and, mm-hmm. And Luke, you've had extensive background working previously as a wildlife biologist for a, a timber company. And what does a feral hog do on timber company lands or in regards to seedling replantment and things like that? Because a lot of our listeners, uh, including our, our farmers, um, may not know what a hog can do to uh, a new freshly planted uh, uh, timber stand. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of opinions about that, and as we we lease a lot of land from timber companies uh, for wildlife management areas with uh, in the state of Arkansas and uh, over a million and a half acres of land, and you know, there doesn't seem to be right now in in some of the discussions we've had with companies uh, that it is a tremendous you know detriment. Uh, I've had. To, I, I think the thing that we've got to we've got to look at that, and I think that once you know you see uh, disturbance in some of these areas, and even the form of growth, sometimes you don't see uh, the impacts of the trees and the back and the quality of the trees, maybe till they're you know 10 or 15 years tall, just for straightness and growth and so on. There's no doubt that those areas are getting rooted up. Uh, I mean, just you know, it's like you've tilled certain places up where high populations are. But I take this a little step further. You know, as as hunting clubs, this is an animal that's come onto the scene in the last 20 years that competes for food resources for turkey and quail and deer. Most people lease land to deer hunt in our state. It's kind of king of the road, so to speak. And there's definitely no doubt that they're competing for that food resource out there. So not only is there damage on ag land and, and you know, ranch land where people are cutting hay, but the competition out there, I think people have really got to come to grips with this. And, again, this, you know, you could have arguments all day long. There are people that want them because they look at it as another added value to hunting. And then the others would say, well, I don't see a deer at my deer stand anymore because of the sign of, of feral hogs. So, you know, if nothing else, we know that, they're a tremendous competitor. And, you know, just to kind of, you mentioned a while ago about the 80% reduction. That just speaks to their reproductive capacity. Exactly. And they are, you know, and the fact that we don't have, you know, a, a lot of predators, maybe coyotes and things like that that'll take young pigs, but they're so defensive of their their uh, sounder groups and their herds. I mean, they're, they're going to they're gonna fend them off. And in most cases, but I think that uh, as we go further along, uh, I had a gentleman call me last week down in Union County that says I'd like to take you to one of our industrial clear cuts and show you the damage. And I, and I, I intend to. There's no better way than to get on the ground and look at some of this stuff. And Absolutely. The stories, you know, the real human interest stories since I've been here in a year just continue to come up with. 
you know, man in Ashley County saying I plant them around that many soil beans three times at $300 a bag. Well, the gentleman in Clark County that had to cut T-posts in half and put a hot wire around 1,100 acres of pasture land. So, you know, where their numbers are growing, I can assure you there is construction going on. Yeah, there. And people, people don't realize that you you mentioned you the analogy of almost a rotor rotor tiller effect is they root through and and destroy things, and so uh, that is a serious problem. JP, when uh, these grants and and the folks, mm -hmm. you know, the hiring takes place, kind of yes, give sir. our our uh, our farmers out there an idea of of how you're working with the uh, federal agencies as well. You, you guys mentioned APHIS, and mm -hmm. uh, Robert Byrd directs them. And, and what's going to happen uh, as far as people being able to, uh, these guys, new hires going out in the field and, and actually trapping hogs? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, how this w was was proposed is these positions are technician positions, and, and they will be assisting current um APHIS personnel in those areas. Um mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of people ask why did we pick those areas? Well um APHIS had some staff in those areas, a little bit limited. Since then they have um part of their portion of the grant was they APHIS hired one additional technician in each one of those pilot areas. So exactly. the conservation district technicians will be working directly uh, with APHIS and Natural Resources Division of the Department of Ag, um, myself, to um, train under APHIS um, with with establishing bait sites, establishing trap locations, and they will be assisting APHIS in the trapping process on a day-to-day -day basis. So they will be making landowner contacts, um, uh, doing site reconnaissance on the, on for, for feral hogs and doing anything that we that we deem necessary under APHIS protocols um, to to start trapping and hopefully get some landowner relief. That's one portion. Um, another portion is they'll be participating in uh, the education and outreach component, which is you know as Luke uh, mentioned earlier, um, getting some landowner workshops within those those pilot project areas. To, to get landowners together, educate them on uh, the, the the process uh, at the time that we're using. I don't, I don't want to say it's the end all be all, but at least it's it seems to be working in some regards. Uh, the trapping protocol, educate the landowners on how to do that, and um, uh, just just move forward. Um, and then the last component that they'll be doing is is helping with some landowner payments, which is. Um, Hopefully to drive up participation in the surveys that I mentioned before that will right. um, help to show some success of the overall pilot project and there may be some some other landowner uh, payments in there as well but that would be further on down the line so um, okay. we'll also be working with extension um, for landowner workshops and um, um, also to, to do, they're going to be doing the bulk of the surveys, but we're coordinating it through those technicians. So um, I want to caution everybody. This is a very new program, and we try to uh, work out all the kinks on the front end. There, there will be some some hiccups and some hurdles to clear, but uh, 
you know, the biggest thing is we just want to get these folks in the, in the field working and work those, uh, you know, resolve those issues as they come up uh, pretty quickly, hopefully. So, well, I'm, our, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Once you get mm-hmm. folks in the field and, mm-hmm. and having communication one-on-one and uh, with landowners and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, that'll go a long way to giving people a sense of confidence uh, that, uh, they can pick up the telephone and call yes. somebody. They can, it, it, which you know, it, it, everybody. If if you know, that's that's why it's good to have uh, a nine one one, so to speak, for hogs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yes. know, and you both know that because you've been talking to landowners. Yes. Well, I mean, we've been sitting here right now talking for the last twenty five minutes about mm-hmm. feral hogs. We could easily talk another. Uh, hour about hogs, but but before we, we go, before we go, uh, and I'll start with Luke first. I want to give mm-hmm. you guys an opportunity. Um, you know, if there's something I hadn't asked you yet, or an area particular area you want to cover on the subject, uh, Luke, is there anything you'd like to uh, uh, end your part of the conversation with? I just think it's important to. Uh, for the public to understand that there are a lot of partners, 22 of them. If you go to the Feral Hog Eradication Task Force site, you can see a logo of all those entities that are working together uh, to bring different uh, assets to the table with the public. I mean, these are concerned groups that represent, just like the Farm Bureau, you know, 190,000 people. So that's a big contingency of folks. Uh, I think as we get to know each other, as people working on this effort, you know, there's a lot of respect that's being gained for what's being done and certain shared knowledge about, you know, the efforts that are taking place. Uh, I'm now a year into this job, and I can, I can really appreciate, uh, you know, what our staff does, uh, both private lands biologists and regional staff, uh, year at a time, 18 a thousand hours last year spent on federal hog eradication control in 2019. So, go go I mean, ahead and repeat that number for people because it's pretty significant. Eighteen thousand hours. Eighteen thousand hours gaming fish yeah. spent on hog work. I mean, we've got people 55 traps. JP's aware of this. He was the brain trust and all this building this program for years and some you know really dedicated folks to. You know, people don't realize the effort before you drop a trap, what it takes to, you know, get these things, um, you know, into a trap area. They're very wise animals and uh, a lot of hard work, big 30-foot round traps that are used to set up in remote areas. Uh, and then we, we use radio telemetry uh, and phones, excuse me, phones and satellite, you know, to monitor uh, these traps, and uh, we get a ping on these phones, and it's real time. In most cases, working with various companies that have developed this technology, and uh, you know we're watching that entire group of hogs and trying to catch the entire group in what we call a sounder. Right. There's this sophistication, you know, a part of this. I think that the other part of this is, you know, one thing I would say: this is not just an AGFC concern. This is everybody. And I just want exactly. to that we are here to help people because it's part of conservation. A couple of things that are interesting, $3.4 million have been 
you know, given our state through NRCS, a great partner to help us, you know, build capacity for people to trap and educate people. Another grant that will begin this fall is with the Nature Conservancy. It's an RCPP grant in the Buffalo uh, River watershed for $2.7 million. So when we start talking about water quality and what these animals do to watersheds, that is a huge concern. We are blessed in this state to have water that's abundant and good water, good drinking water. These animals make, you know, some, uh, and make a mess of our water systems and, you know, where they're rooting them. And that's just where they want to congregate is, you know, wet type areas. And so you get a lot of siltation and things like that coming into watersheds and you know, we we enjoy and take for granted our clean streams in Arkansas, you know, rock bed streams, but that sedimentation can mess that up very quickly. So uh, I think our legislators are beginning to understand by the concerns from constituents, you know, what impacts economically and from a conservation, you know, they have. So, you know, it's there, there are resources and funding being put towards that. And the last thing I'll just mention is that we're looking forward to welcoming a new J.P. Fairhead, a new federal hall coordinator within our agency probably in July. Uh, we're currently in the freeze to do any kind of, of, uh, of job placements, but we've actually selected this young man that's going to be coming. And I've been asked not to divulge his name at this time, but he hopefully will be on board in, in July and and you know it takes about it's taken about sixty percent of my time with other you know duties with a AGSC to work through this program uh, since JP left. So uh, he had a he did a lot of work. I appreciate him a lot more now that he's gone than when he was here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, th thank you, Luke. Appreciate those words, yeah. and I'm sure JP does. And JP, uh, yes, any final thoughts? Yes. Yeah, I, I would just like to, to echo, you know, Luke's comments and just add that, you know, we're just, we're kind of, like the current situation, we're all in this together. We're all affected in, in some way, shape, form, or fashion by, by, by feral hogs or feral swine, whatever we want to, whatever we want to call them. Um, just, you know, be patient, let's be persistent, um, uh, controlled, and, and just let's work together. The, the best that we can through through the task force through our each agency what we can do and and I think we're going to see some some success uh in the, in in the long term but uh you know this is this is something we've been battling for a long time um we're not going to see a lot of overnight results and I think that's the that's the one thing that I want to caution folks is just we we tend to look at <clears throat> We tend to look at things uh, from a seasonal aspect and say, well, you know, they're worse now than they were back in the spring. Just we got we got to think long term strategy um, and just keep the ball rolling as, as best we can. So, and I think uh, want to thank Luke and, and Game and Fish for for their efforts over the last several months with the, the reporting app that that Luke mentioned. That's uh, it's going to be a great benefit once we get all the kinks worked out of that for all the federal and state agencies and hopefully someday get to roll that out to the uh, to the, the general public so that they can start reporting some take and and just just move forward and do the best we can. 
Now, now, one of you did mention a uh, mm-hmm. a website. Is is mm-hmm. that something the public can access yet, or and if so, does yeah. it have a uh, a link uh, that you can give right now? Yes, sir. Um, so if you go to the Arkansas Feral Hog Eradication Task Force website, <clears throat> excuse me, it's housed on the uh, Department of Agriculture site. Okay. Um, there is currently a link where you can report sightings and removals, and there's there's two different links, one for sighting, one for removal, and uh, we just encourage the, the public to log in, report sightings, and report removals if they if they if they can it's it's totally voluntary but it does help us get a feel of, of where things are occurring um might be a new area and um also gives us some sort of um estimate of take across the state not just um for state and federal agencies uh, to report you know that was okay. the big thing working for game and fish we had to account for for time and money, and so everybody wants to know what we've been doing. So that's why we tracked it. But um, public sector, not so much, obviously. So, um, well, JP Fairhead is the Feral Hog Program Coordinator for the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. Luke Lewis, Assistant Chief of Wildlife Management for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, and both of them are uh, head high deep in feral hog eradication. Gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, taking time today to be on Arkansas AgCast with the Arkansas Farm Bureau. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you, Greg. Thank you in the Farm Bureau. Yes, sir. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. Finally, Keith Sutton is joined by the Food Conservancy Executive Director, Diana Endicott, who talks about her organization's efforts to help produce growers deal with the challenges brought on by COVID-19 and their work to promote farming in Northwest Arkansas. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and today I am visiting with Diana Endicott, who is the Executive Director of the Northwest Arkansas Food Conservancy. Welcome to AgCast, Diana. Well, welcome, and thank you so much for having me and giving me this opportunity. Well, we want people to know all about your organization, uh, and I know a lot of people may not be familiar with the Food Conservancy, so maybe we could start with you uh, explaining a little bit about the organization and its mission. What what was the Food Conservancy founded for? Why do we have this organization? Well, the Food, the food Conservancy, the Northwest Arkansas Food Conservancy, um, is actually part of the Northwest Arkansas Food Systems Initiative. And there's three parts to the Northwest Arkansas Food Systems Initiative. There's the University of Arkansas Center for Agricultural Farm and Food Program. There's the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust with the Farm Link Program. And then the third, uh, the third part is actually the Northwest Arkansas uh, Food Conservancy. So we're part of the overall food system initiative here in Northwest Arkansas. Um, we are basically, um, the Food Conservancy's mission is to be able to grow, um, grow more fruits and vegetables, so we increase the number of farmers, and to do that by growing market opportunities. Um, being able to, uh, when the farm, farmers uh, grow, we are going to aggregate, um, we're currently aggregating and distributing the product 
specifically looking at growing, um, you know, more diverse and, and larger scale markets for their products. And I'm thinking right now with everything that's going on in the world of, with the coronavirus and, and issues like that, this is probably more important than ever, not just for our farmers, but also for the consumer. Oh, yes, definitely. I think that it, um, if what it has really shown is the, um, the you know, our, our food system and how important having localized and regionalized food systems um, can, you know, play a part in the overall food system. So I think that maybe um, people are becoming more concerned about, you know, their access and continuing access, you know, during crisis, um, making sure that, you know, their communities and their regions have access to, uh, to food, to healthy food. So, yeah, we definitely have seen that across the country. Well, there's a, a long, rich history of, farmers uh, working in northwest Arkansas and growing a variety of, of produce uh, that people have access to, but it goes way back. And really, it seems like y'all are working hard to even improve uh, what's available now over what might have been available in past years. Yes, I've done a little bit of research and looking at the history, and more importantly, I've just listened to people talk, talk about the the history of and the number of canneries and how diverse and and um, you know important part that uh, that small and size um, fruit and vegetable farming played in Northwest Arkansas and how how well it added to the landscape. So yes, we're hoping to be able to um, re you know to reestablish that part of that, but then also to look at it from you know a regenerative agriculture um, aspect and making sure that the way that we farm is um, you know, including being conscientious of the soil and making sure that we're able to be good stewards of the land and at the same time making it financially viable. So um, it, it is. It's, it's just kind of going back and saying, hey, what was working then and how can we make it better? What are some of the biggest challenges you're facing as you're trying to, to connect uh, farmers and, and local uh, customers? What are some of the the hard parts of this that you're having to work through? Um, I think it's kind of the chicken and the egg. You know, do you grow the farmers first, or do you grow the market first, or do you have you can't grow the farmers without the market? You can't have a market without having the produce. And so I think it's just you know doing those both um, simultaneously is is can be very challenging. And um, we're also finding that we need to have uh, a lot more um, small and mid-sized farms in Northwest Arkansas. So, you know, how do we how do we get people to either scale up what their production, or how do we get new people? Um, specifically, looking at a lot of the immigrants, the veterans, um, our underserved populations. How do we get them interested in farming and making it making it financially viable? Because if it's not financially viable, it's going to be difficult for anyone to want to, you know, to get started in it. So how can we help them? Um, and then we hope that we're doing that by by opening up markets, you know, being able to provide the infrastructure for aggregating their product, cooling their product, refrigerating their product, and helping them, you know, know to pack the product and then being able to work. Um, during this specific period, we're trying to reach out to supermarkets because right now that's where the market is. So working with 
with the with those supermarkets and say how can we you know this is the situation and how can you best help us and we've been very fortunate um, with Harps um, supermarkets to be able to step in and and the Northwest Arkansas and be able to to uh, help uh, find us a home for some of the products that we're we're working and and it's very difficult because they have to be packed a certain way you know it's not going to be it's not like going to your farmers market where you can you know put it in whatever boxes you have and um, and the customers, you have the opportunity to talk to the customers. You know, you're packing it, you're boxing it, and you're also, you know, delivering it to uh, to someone else to sell. So it is a different uh, process. Um, one of the challenges that we have is 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 the packaging, grading, and packaging because our program can only be as good as what comes to our door. So kind of working back and helping the farmers and supporting the farmers and encouraging them you know, that yes, this is a viable market and this is what we need to change and then providing them with the resources, with the boxes and with the labels, um, with the infrastructure to help them. So taking them where they're at and listening to them and understanding them and then trying to help them scale up and help them grow um, to meet these markets. And I, I think we should mention you're based out of Springdale, is that correct? Yes, we're at 1605 um, Springdale. We have a refrigerated warehouse there, so we're kind of centrally located, we feel. Um, we're currently um, have two programs. We're currently selling to supermarkets uh, and wholesale restaurants, um, and then we also have a, a CSA program uh, that we have, will we'll launch. And previously to that, we've been also having an online box program direct to the consumer. So let's uh, maybe... Uh follow the chain here and, and talk a little bit about if I'm a farmer uh, and I would like to get involved, uh, where do I start? And then once I have uh, gotten signed up uh, for this program and know what's going on, what happens then? Okay. Well, the first thing you would do is go to um, the, the foodconservancy.org website, and there's some links there that you can, can link on. And, uh, and to reach out to us. And then we, or you're always welcome, always welcome to contact. There's a, a phone number also on the website, call, and you're welcome to come by uh, at, 16, at 1605 Shady Grove and visit the warehouse. Uh, once we have your information, then we reach out and reach out to you and basically just see what the volume is you have, what are your current markets, um, you know, we're learning what really sells well in this area. This is kind of our year of learning. You know, what what is the market really demanding? What are the consumers demanding? What crops grow well here to meet that demand? So um, what we have done previously is just work with the farmers where they're at, been able to see what do you have, what do you have available, what excess product do you have that, you know, because of the, because the restaurants, what did you sell the restaurants that you're not currently able to sell? Um, what were you selling at farmers' markets? Um, so we were able to take the product mix that they have and be able to help them um, and try to find a market for you know for them. So we'll all sit down. We have a price sheet. They'll look at the price sheet um, and see what works for you know maybe everything that they sell. Maybe they just sell a part of it, or maybe they're looking for a, a new crop to grow um, for you know the coming up fall season. So it's just kind of one on one specifically with the farmers. We have done a lot of food safety training. So we've met a lot of the farmers um, in the off season last last winter um, through our food safety training classes for GAP certification. 
which is not required right now. We're just in the initial stages of, of developing the, uh, the program here. Well, so just reach out a, to us and call us. It's a, a very in-depth program, too. I spent a little while on the Food Conservancy website this morning, and I know you're also uh, looking for new farmers. Is that correct? You're hoping to maybe help folks get started yeah. into farming and increase the number of farms in northwest Arkansas. Yes, that's correct, and I think that is what is so unique about being part of the overall uh, the Northwest Arkansas Food System Initiative is we can connect you if you're looking for land. We can connect you with the Land Trust. If you're looking for uh, an apprenticeship program or learning to farm, we can connect you with the, the uh, university um, farm program, the CAF program. So we have many partners out there that, depending on what stage the farmer is at, we can definitely help them, uh, help them grow or help them become involved with our or with our partners. So it what is the overall goal? What do you hope uh Diana might happen in the next five years with this program? What are your wishes? If you could uh, look into your crystal ball and see something good in the future, what would that be? Um I think increasing the number of small and mid sized family farms in northwest Arkansas. If we could grow the number to where it would support um, the local community so that we'd be able to access larger scale markets and that would change the landscape so that when we look at the landscape of Northwest Arkansas, we can kind of step back and say, you know, look at, look at, look at how many more farms we have. Look at how much better the soil is, better our landscape is, and how more inclusive we are in the diversity of our farmers. So that I think is, is really our goal is the, is the number of farms, the diversity of our farmers, and being able to be, have a system in place that they are able to grow the product and be able to take it to a, to a centralized location or a sub-location and be able to have a market for that product at a fair price. And I bet a lot of ears are perking up now listening to this. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people that need the kind of assistance that the Food Conservancy can provide and uh, this is a good place for them to start if they're in your neck of the woods. Uh, I, I'm also uh, wondering how how people who are consumers might assist uh, in what you're doing as well. I know they can buy some of the products from the farmers uh, direct through you. Is that correct? That's correct. We have a farm box program that was put in place um, due to the, the COVID-19. We had a lot of farmers when the restaurants closed and, um, and also when the, um, they did not have a, uh, a place for their product, um, the farmers markets closed. So we went out and gathered the, the farmers what they had and we started what they call a, pro, a provision box. And it was um, a weekly box that was put together. And we had a couple of drop-off spots. And that is changing to what we can fit now to this community-supported agriculture, the CSA box. And, again, it is an aggregation of local, locally grown foods. And they can log on to the website there and they can, you know, and, and purchase weekly. Um, the other thing is, is that we are now, we're actually in some of the heart stores here in northwest Arkansas. And so there will be signs up um, for the, you know, for the locally grown 
locally grown foods, and those are all coming from local farms, you know, in the in either in Arkansas and specifically target, targeting Northwest Arkansas. I can tell everybody I looked at one of those provision boxes, and I wish you were here in Central Arkansas so I could get one each week. There's a lot of uh, fresh produce in there. Tell folks some of the uh, products that that y'all are helping farmers sell. What are some of the things that are available? Well, well, right now, right now it was early season, so this has started probably four to five weeks ago. But we had beautiful, some of the most beautiful um, spring. I call it amazing Arkansas because I was just amazed at the quality. We had everything from lettuce to kale. Um, to radishes, to beet, to carrots. Um, we had chard, rainbow chard. We had dill. We have, um, now we're moving into a little bit more of the warmer season crop during the couple, the couple of weeks, which we'll have the, you know, the squashes and the cucumbers. But early on, we really did just have like a lot of beautiful, beautiful spring, um, spring bok choy. Um, I was trying to think of some of the others, the daikon radishes. I mean, it it was a a spring mix that I I would I think it would it would be any that just could not be found just you know anywhere put together the way that it and we've been we've been so fortunate to have such a great customer response to it. Um, so oh, yeah. we, we as we move as about, we sorry we've talked about uh, a lot of produce. Uh, are our livestock farmers also involved with y'all? Yes, we just um, we just took in a few weeks ago um, to have the first four um, steers uh, uh, um, process for our ground beef program, for our grass-fed ground beef program. Um, we are hoping um, to build a Northwest Arkansas beef, um, specifically Northwest Arkansas beef program. The beef that we did came from a Northwest Arkansas farm, uh, Osage Creek, and we have that process now. So. We do, yes. We're very. We think that in our in our previous work that the animal protein part of it um, is definitely a, a a very necessary uh, part of the program to make it to make it to make it work financially. So we're at the very initial stages, very beginning stages of it. But yes, we do in, include that, and then also the value added components. There's so many great uh, products that people are working on in the value added. So we also are. Uh, you know, including that all of Our focus is on fruits and vegetables, but we're going to be inclusive of all locally grown foods. Well, all I can say is I hope that we see this type of program uh, spread across the state and across the region. It sounds like what y'all are doing is something that's been long needed. Uh, it's something that those of us who enjoy knowing where our food comes from and having healthy, locally grown foods, this is really going to benefit all of us, and it will help our farmers, too. So we appreciate you taking time to visit with us today. This, uh, As we wrap it up, would you please tell everybody one more time the best way to uh, find more information? Yes, just go to www.thefood.com. TheFoodConservancy.org, and there'll be several links there that will take you um, in the direction. There's also phone numbers that you can contact us. So just uh, reach out to us, and we'll definitely um, look forward to hearing from you and if, and uh, and working with you in the future. 
And we hope uh, those of you who are listening, you will go there to thefoodconservancy.org and uh, find more information. Uh, We're always here to help at Farm Bureau as well. And, Diana, we appreciate very much you taking time to share with us the important work being done uh, by the Food Conservancy. Thank you very much. Thank you, and thanks to Farm Bureau for their, their support. It's greatly appreciated. That's all for this week's Arkansas AgCast. We'll return next Thursday with the latest news in Arkansas agriculture.